I want you to go with me to John's Gospel in chapter 11. John chapter 11. As we continue in our study here in John chapter 11, we're going to pick up with verse 28 this morning, but I actually want to back up a few verses and read from verse 25. So go with me to verse 25 this morning, John 11 and verse 25, where we see Jesus speaking to Martha. John 11 and verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And verse 32 says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And verse 35 says, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? In verse 38, we hear, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Verse 45 says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. 
powerful passage we have before us this morning. One of the things that I'm challenged by from this passage is that too often, too often God's people know the despair of unbelief. You know what I mean? Far too often we find ourselves numbered among those who despair in their unbelief. When what God wants for us as followers of Christ, what God wants for his church is for us to know deeply the joy of faith. In fact, there's an amazing contrast from the start of our passage to the end of our passage, and I think it's just that. I think there's a stark contrast between the despair of unbelief and the joy of faith. First, I want you to note with me and look at the text with me again, as we see here, I think very clearly the, the despair of unbelief. And, and I think we can identify with this, and I, and I want you to identify with this. Do you see yourself in this passage? I see myself here at times, and I think we need to see ourselves here so that we can enjoy the, the joy of faith. But we do find ourselves amidst the despair of unbelief at times as we see those in the account before us. And as we enter the text here in verse 28, it's evident and obvious that the home of Martha and Mary was being visited by those who were mourning with them. Jewish tradition is what brought these mourners after the burial rather than before to the home of the family who had lost the loved one and so gathered around. And, and it said in the previous passage we noted last week, Mary was sitting and the, the mourners come and present themselves to, to Mary and Martha. And, and then we see in the midst of our account here, Martha brings news to Mary that Jesus wishes to see her. And it says in verse 28 that she she brought this news in private. Now, you might not think much of this, but, but the reason for Martha discreetly telling Mary that Jesus wanted to see her could have been twofold, and may have been for both of these reasons, I suppose. It may have been that that Martha was hoping to go with Mary for a private uh, private meeting with Jesus, a private time alone with Jesus. But another reason for Martha's discretion could have been that, that she just hoped to spare Jesus the risk of being exposed to those who were looking for him to take his life. And so she discreetly comes to her sister and tells her, Jesus is looking for you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to see you. Now, either way, and for whatever reasons Martha had for being discreet and telling Mary, her sister, this, either way, this private meeting with Mary and Martha was not a part of God's plan, was it? Because what happens next? Look at verse 29. And when she heard it, it says here, she rose quickly and went to him. So when Mary receives this, this news that Jesus is nearby and wants to see her, what does she do? She gets up quickly and she leaves. She departs from the house. She, she leaves where she's seated accepting mourners and leaves very quickly to see Jesus. And, and what happens when Mary leaves this, this place with such haste and the, and the people look and see her leave and you know, they're left to, to consider for themselves why she's leaving. And verse 31 says, a crowd well, we see a crowd follows in verse 31 says, when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. You realize that this too is a part of God's plan. God's, God's sovereign hand ordering the day. But why would a gathering group of Lazarus uh, mourners be a part of God's plan. 
Well, because God not only wanted the faith of Jesus' followers growing and strengthened, he also wanted others who had not yet believed in Christ to witness the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead and in turn believe in the Son of God themselves. We've been seeing it as we've studied through this passage together that, that again and again Jesus says, I, I'm glad I wasn't there. Right? Remember when he tells his disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there, but let's go and wake, wake Lazarus up. Jesus could overcome the, the death sleep of Lazarus, couldn't he? And he wanted his disciples to see it so they would grow in their faith. He wanted Mary and Martha, and he wanted the people who followed them to Lazarus' tomb to see the resurrection of Lazarus. Why? So that they would believe. So that they would be strengthened in their faith. Do you know why this account is in God's Word? It's so that you will believe. It's so that you will be strengthened in your faith. This is for our benefit also, isn't it? You see, God does not wish that believers remain weak in their faith. And that's where we find ourselves at times, isn't it? We find ourselves amidst the despair of unbelief. Oh God, but why? Oh God, why me? Oh God, why this? But God does not want us to remain weak in our faith. And He does not wish that unbelievers remain in their unbelief. So what does God do? He gives believers reasons to have faith. And He gives unbelievers reasons to believe, doesn't He? God is gracious, isn't He? God is so good. God is so gracious and kind and generous to give us reasons for faith as a follower of Christ and reasons to believe as unbelievers. But note how sad the despair of unbelief. Note the hint of unbelief in Mary. And maybe not just a hint. Look at verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now we noted this last time. We noted this, just the same statement from Martha back in verse 21. It makes you think that they'd been talking about this, right? Oh, if, if Jesus had been here. If, if Jesus had, we do that, don't we? If, if this, and if that, you know, if, if this had gone this way and that had gone that way, then this wouldn't, right? Uh, you can almost hear Martha and Mary. If Jesus, if Lazarus, dear friend Jesus had been here. And so, Mary, too, says what Martha says. And just as I said of Martha last time, I don't think Mary's scolding Jesus for not having been there. I think she's simply saying it as she sees it. She's stating what she thinks. She's, see, this is, this is where we find ourselves, too, isn't it? Her faith was such that she believed that if Jesus had been there, if Jesus had had his hand in this situation, Lazarus would not have died. He could have done something had Jesus been there. Now, we look at this and we realize, don't we, that she had faith, right? She has faith. Jesus, you could have done something if you'd have just been here. She had faith, but her faith puts limits on what Christ can do, doesn't it? He didn't need to be there, did he? We've seen it demonstrated before. He didn't need to be there. Jesus Christ didn't need to be there in the flesh to cause someone to be healed, did he? And God is gracious to show us that and to help us see that. But evidently, Martha and Mary, they had not seen it. They had not understood. Their faith was not there. She's simply stating it the way she sees it. If you had been here, you could have done something. She had faith, but her faith truly does put a limit on what Christ can do. 
And that's not an uncommon problem for us, is it? Do we find ourselves there at times saying, well, I, I know God can do anything. But in this situation, but I don't know about now. I, but I know God can do anything. I have great hope in God. I know his promises and I sing his praises. But we find ourselves saying, but in this situation, right? Until it comes to our present situation, we have great hope and we have great confidence. And then we find ourselves in the despair of doubt. That's why we would do well, I think, and we would be greatly helped by God if we were like the man who, you remember the man who declared both his faith and lack of faith as he asked of, of Jesus his help? Mark 9, 24, you remember that little statement, I believe, help my unbelief. That's kind of paradoxical, isn't it? I believe, help my unbelief. It seems paradoxical, doesn't it, to us to proclaim faith and lack of faith at the same time, but isn't that just where we find ourselves at times? I believe, but oh God, help my unbelief. Strengthen my weak faith. Puritan Edward Marbury spoke the truth, I think, when he said, A man cannot have faith without asking, neither can he ask it without faith. And that's where we find ourselves, isn't it? We've heard it said that in answer to our prayers, God sometimes says yes, sometimes says no, and sometimes says, I've heard it two ways, maybe or wait, right? Carolyn was talking to me this week about a, a something one of her friends told her that that I thought was fairly profound. And, and she suggested there were really only two ways God answers prayer. It's either yes or trust me, right? Yes, or trust me. And that really is God's desire for us as his children, isn't it? He wants us to deeply trust him. God's desire for his children is that they trust him in all things, not just some things, not just the easy things. We we face some Things where we go, oh yeah, I trust in God, and in this case, it's pretty easy. But he wants us to trust him in the hard things, the difficult things, the painful situations of life. He wants us to, to get down and, as if not prostrate, and how good that would be for us to prostrate ourselves before God in private prayer and say, oh God, I trust you. I know that, that what you're doing in this situation is for my good and for your glory. That's hard, isn't it? I know it's hard. You know it's hard. I'm not suggesting that it's easy. But God wants us to trust Him. And He gives us very clear reasons to, to be strengthened in our faith as we trust Him in the midst of trials. That really is God's desire for His children. That they learn to trust Him in all three, all things. The Lord desires that that his children grow in their dependence upon him, in their faith in Christ, that they grow. So God is gracious when in answer to our prayers he says, trust me. The answer doesn't come as soon as we would hope. And you need to hear him saying, trust me. God is gracious 
to give us strength when we hope in him. And he gives us encouragement from his word and examples in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ that we may grow deeper in dependence upon Christ and his goodness. And this, and that's why I say this 4th of July weekend, we celebrate our independence as a nation, but as followers of Christ, we must grow in our dependence upon Christ. We are never independent of our need to faithfully follow and trust and depend upon God's faithful provision. Now I want you to note how Jesus responds to Mary's statement and her weeping and the weeping of the others. When Jesus saw her weeping, it says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. So here's Jesus looking on, taking in the weeping of Mary and the weeping Jews who had come with her. And in the original language, this is actually a loud weeping, a loud wailing, really demonstrative. In fact, that was the common practice of the day to express grief and to do so very noisily and unrestrained. And so Jesus looked on and witnessed the mourning and the open grief at the death of Lazarus. And it says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And why? I think Jesus is deeply troubled within because of the, the little faith of his followers. We might look at this and say, oh, how, how heartfelt the, the grief of Jesus as, he, as he's grieved within, as he's greatly troubled in his spirit, greatly moved and troubled from within. But I think what we need to see here is the troubling of heart that Jesus is experiencing because he sees little faith in his followers. I mean, he sees faith, but it's a little faith. It's not a great faith. It's not a faith of great hope and trust and dependence upon what he will do. They were grieving as if there were no hope. And that was common practice in it. They just to grieve as if there was no hope, and they were too. I think that's what troubled Jesus most, how troubling the despair of unbelief. How troubling. When we fail to trust, see, students of the Word know that hopelessness and despair at the death of one of God's children is not to be our attitude, is it? Oh, we, we grieve, don't we, at the loss of a dear loved one, and that is to be expected. God expects that. We rejoice with those who rejoice, what right? But we also mourn with those who mourn. So I think there's a measure of that, this mourning with those who mourn in Jesus. But I think deep down, he is grieved because of their little faith. As followers of Christ, we're to face death with the assurance and confidence that's ours in Christ. We hear it very clearly, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 and 14 but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You see, our confidence is in Christ, isn't it? It's in his finished work on the cross. 
And it's in His rising from the dead to conquer death. But at this time, in these these people's experience, they haven't they haven't seen it yet, right? Jesus is still ahead of the cross. He's still before that time. It's, it's as if He's traveling in the shadow in front of the cross now. And so His followers have not seen His death and burial and resurrection and conquering of death and sin and hell in the grave. And we hear it from Martha last time when she expressed her faith that Lazarus would be resurrected on the last day with all the other followers of Christ, but she had not grown in her faith to the point where she believed that Lazarus could be raised on this day. She did not see Christ as able to accomplish that on this day. Martha didn't believe it. Neither did Mary. And they were weak in their faith to the point that they believed Jesus would bring Lazarus back to life on that day, the day of Christ, but not on this day. And you know, God is all about growing His followers in their faith in Christ. And so God is gracious, isn't He? Aren't you thankful that God is gracious with you when you're weak in faith? He says, that's okay. Follow me. Trust me. Look to my word. Gather my promises deep into your soul and take great hope and comfort and encouragement from these who have gone before you and have walked in faith and have seen my promises fulfilled. Trust me. God is all about growing his followers in their faith in Christ. So we hear Jesus in verse 34 say, where have you laid him? Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. They don't realize that what's coming next is open the tomb. They just say, let's go to the grave site together. As Jesus approaches the tomb of Lazarus, we come to the shortest, but I think one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. We love it when we're in Sunday school and we're memorizing verses for points. This verse, right? This one's the easy one. We see the humanity of Jesus and the love of Jesus for his friends in verse 34 when he says, in, in verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And I want you to note here too that Jesus weeping is different from that of the others. Again, you go back to the original languages and you look and you find out that really what Jesus is doing is nothing like what the others are doing. They are they are loud and demonstrative in their, in their weeping and mourning and grieving. And Jesus has a silent outbreak of tears. Think about it. Did Jesus not have faith? <laughs> I think his grief was partly because he mourned with those who mourned. His dear friends grieved, and he saw their grief, and he felt their pain. But he knew what was coming next. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, so it wasn't as if he was grieving at this, at this great loss. He grieved with those who were grieving, his dear friends and followers. Now, Jesus wept because he was moved with emotion for his friends, and partly and likely more so because, again, of their unbelief. Because he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, not on that day in the future, but on this day in the present. And so I think, again, he's grieving and he weeps mostly for their unbelief. 
Verse 36 notes that the onlooking Jews said, See how he loved him? See how he loved him? They don't really understand Christ yet, do they? Yes, he did love him, but they don't know his grief, and they even show their lack of understanding and come to the same conclusion of Martha and Mary. Verse 36 says, even uh, verse, uh, verse 36 says how they loved, how he loved him. Look how he grieves for his love for him. As if he was grieving because Lazarus would not come back. But then verse 37, even others completely misunderstand, do not have faith in Christ. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Well, what's going on here? What happened to him? Wasn't he able to, to heal and restore sight? How troubling the despair of unbelief. But listen, Jesus is about to change all that. You realize that, right? Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for, for he has been dead four days. Still with the unbelief. She still doesn't see it. But Jesus, ever gracious, ever patient, says to Martha, did I not tell you, look at verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Aren't you thankful that God is patient with you? Aren't you thankful that God patiently, as you believe in Him, as you trust in Him, He shows you His glory? And Martha and the others were about to see one of the greatest demonstrations of God's glory known to man. And we're about to see what followed the joy of faith. Look at verse 41 and following. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe. Do you hear it? that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And we're going to see this when we, we uh, return to this passage next time in verse 45, we're told that many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, when they had seen it with, his own, with their own eyes, when they, seen, when they had seen what he did, what does it say? Believed in him. Many believed in him. And no doubt, there's no doubt that was God's purpose that day so that his followers would be strengthened in their faith to see and to believe what they had never believed before. That Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, he will conquer the grave. He will conquer death. He will put death to death when he rises from the dead. It wasn't too many days in the future from this point when they would witness Jesus Christ risen from the dead. There was great joy for Martha and Mary that day to have 
their brother in their midst as, as a whole human being. Once again, no more ailments at that point. It is a little bit of a sadness. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I said, I said this to our folks last Sunday night. You, you guys have heard this uh, before, some of you. But as I was reading this, I thought how I wonder if, if Lazarus, if God removed some of the memories of heaven from Lazarus' mind as he brought him back to life. Because if you were Lazarus in God's glory, right, absent from the body, present with the Lord, right? If you're Lazarus and you're in God's glory and Jesus says, come back, what are you going to do? Well, wait a minute. I don't want to go back. Some of us know. The grief of losing someone close, someone dear, yes. You know how we want them back. If they're God's child, do you really want them back? Do you really want to take them from God's glory? In the presence of the Lord, there is no more suffering. There is no more pain. There are no more tears. I can't wait. Guess what else? There's no more sin. Do you grieve over your sin? You grieve over your sin? You ex- you experience frustration over your sin? Like I do? What about your loved ones who've gone on before you? What about those who have fought the fight of faith? Who fought hard the fight of faith, dealing with sin day in and day out? Guess what? They're done with that. Poor Lazarus. Poor Lazarus has to come back. Oh, how his dear loved ones rejoiced at his presence. We, we're only left to wonder what Lazarus thought of this. And that's why I say, I wonder if God just says, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to let you remember heaven right now. Otherwise, you'll be the one grieving. I don't know. That's just conjecture on my part. There's a huge difference between the despair of unbelief and the joy of faith, isn't there? And when we hope in God, and when we trust Him in some of life's darkest hours, we know the joy of faith, don't we? We know the joy that's ours because we walk, we walk with Christ who clearly put death to death, 
who clearly conquered sin on our behalf, who clearly suffered and died so that we would not have to when we put our faith and trust in Him. I read so much sometimes in preparation that I can't remember where I read one thing or the next. But I know I read this week somewhere this profound statement that that convicts me, and I wonder if it might convict you because... We put our hope in Christ, right? To save us from our sin, to kill, to kill sin in our lives and to pay the price for our sins. We, we put our trust in Him. For our lives, for our eternal life. Why can't we trust Him for today's bread? Why can't we trust Him for today? Today's problems? Today's heartache? You trust Him with your eternal soul. You can trust Him for today. Right? So we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, just as we hear Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Praise God. Pray with me. Our precious Heavenly Father, We know the, 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 the debilitating effects of doubt. We know personally what it is to have faith and yet still say, I, I need faith. I need to grow in my faith. God, I pray for your people this morning that that we would deepen in our faith, deepen in our walk with Christ as we look to Christ, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, the one who looked to the cross and knew that on the other side there would be great joy because he would suffer for the sins of his people. And his people, through faith in Christ, would experience the joy of being forgiven their sins. Now, the joy now of of knowing we rest secure in Christ. If we've repented of our sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ, our faith in him, We are washed clean. Those sins are forgotten. You, God, have turned your back on our sins because of your Son. And as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our sin from us. And for that, we praise you and thank you.
and ask, implore, God, grow us in our faith that we might trust you daily, whatever we face. You know, you know what we're going to face. And so strengthen us, God, for today and tomorrow. And each day you, you tarry. We await your return. And we pray, God, that you would strengthen us to walk in faith, in faithful obedience, glorifying you, glorifying the Son, Jesus Christ, that others might see the hope that's ours and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.